We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I am a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and honored to be so. And I have over 46 years now of uh, fire investigations and an expert in, uh, in that field. Today, Donna's not here with us today, but we have a guest co-host, uh, David Bridges, who, has, um, who, who had uh, co-hosted with me in um, Las Vegas on, on the television. We did eight and a half hours. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you. So, why don't, David, why don't you tell them who, uh, your background a little bit, and then we'll get into our good guests. Yeah, so uh, again, welcome uh, everyone. Good afternoon, Ken and Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. My name, as Mike said, is David Bridges, and I am uh, an attorney uh, now, full-time attorney um, that used to be a full-time law enforcement officer, uh, and I work with Marin Gears Catastrophic Loss Practice Group in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And just to be upfront with everyone, I want to say while we're here today to talk about general educational information related to uh, the identification, detection, prosecution of uh, offenses on the public and private side and the differences between those two. Um, and I'm an attorney. This is not intended to provide or replace any legal advice. So if you have any questions specific to your uh, circumstances, I certainly want to encourage you to reach out to your own counsel. Right, and that's a disclaimer that uh, David has to give when he comes on the air, and I understand that. Um, you left out that you're an IAAI, International Association of Arson Investigators, certified fire investigator too, aren't you, David? Yeah, that's right. I, uh, in my former career, I, I got started uh, as a fire investigator, and I am a uh, IAAI CFI. I'm also uh, sit on the, the board of directors for the International Association of Arson Investigators, which I know we're going to talk about in, in great length in today's show. Yeah, because that's the premier um, fire investigation organization in the in the world. Um, now, we'll talk about now our, our guests. Our, our guests are, are terrific. I, I know these guys, and uh, they're in North Carolina. Uh, Jeff Key is a founding member of uh, Forensic Investigations and Consultants, and he's a IAAI CFI and, uh, and also a, um, a hazardous materials technician specialist. Uh, he's retired from the ATF. As a, he was an ATF CFI, and, uh, and he was specialized in origin and cause of investigation of fires and also post-blast investigations. He's been in the private industry now with his own company now for six years, and uh, and he he uh, formed uh, Forcon, which is Forensic Investigations and Consultants, with uh, Ken Andrews, who is also on, and we'll talk to him in a moment. And they and uh, they specialize in large losses as well as explosion investigations. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Mark. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk to you later about one of your cases um, that uh, that I find 
specifically intriguing about uh, getting getting the bad guys, uh, and we're going to sh- talk about how the um, public service and uh, private investigations complement each other. Uh, before we do that, we're going to talk to Ken Andrews. Uh, he's also a founding member of Forcon, and uh, and he was uh, 28 years as a special agent with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. He's ATF certified uh, fire investigator and an IAAI certified fire investigator. And he's also uh, a past president of the North Carolina chapter uh, of that organization. Um, and he also, both Ken, both, uh, uh, Ken and, um, and Jeff, uh, teach uh, not only in North Carolina, but in, in other states um, when asked to do so. Uh, so welcome to you, Ken. Uh, thank you, Mike, and, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I know that you're you're uh, awaiting uh, testimony in a trial in st- in state court there, and I was happy that you could you could make it and uh, didn't chicken out at the last minute. <laughs> so so uh, we're not going to ask you too many really hard questions, Ken. So yeah, uh, you're you're um, recently come coming into private investigations from public service, a good career, a wonderful career with uh, with ATF. Um, and so we'll talk to you in a moment about um, about the differences between like a public service uh, person and a fire investigator. But I wanted to go to uh, David. You were going to talk uh, to you and Jeff had worked actually a, a, a case together that that it's right on point. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Mike. And and you know what's interesting, I've had the pleasure to work with uh, you know everyone on today's show, uh, but in my former career. Uh, when I was with the state of North Carolina for the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, I had the pleasure to work with Jeff and Ken, and I uh, certainly want to advise them not as their counsel today. I, I, I would limit their comments to any good experiences they had with me. But with, with <laughs> Jeff, uh, he actually, uh, at the same time I left the SBI to go to law school, Jeff actually had made the decision to uh, uh, leave ATF, or depending on how you want to look at it, they kicked him out the door uh, for him to go to the private sector. And so, Jeff, just right up front, I mean, what what do you think, uh, and Ken, you can chime in too, what do you think uh, about your background experience with ATF uh, helped you to make that transition. So in other words, what do you think about uh, those experiences uh, are applicable to what you do today? I think that the the training and experience we got with ATF is is uh, directly on point uh, for what we're doing today and gives us a, a breadth of, uh, of uh, ability and training and education in, in uh, doing origin and cause and post-blast investigations. And I think Mike hit on it earlier. You're you're not just a certified fire investigator. You're also, uh, in, in with the ATF, you were a certified explosive specialist. Is that correct? That's correct. Everybody in our firm uh, essentially had the same training uh, and very similar experiences uh, throughout our careers with ATF. And I don't want to I don't want to assume that all the listeners today know what. Uh, the ATF CFI or CES program is. Can you explain to the viewers just a little bit about those two programs with ATF? Yes, sir. The the CFI program, Certified Fire Investigator Program, is a two-year training program as a candidate 
where you attend uh, various training uh, classes. Uh, you attend classes with the University of Maryland. Uh, you do 100 fire scenes with a known, uh, up-to-date, certified fire investigator uh, to learn your profession. Um, and you write all the reports associated with that. You do a research project uh, and write a paper regarding that research project. Um, and then the certified explosives uh, courses or designation re- relates to post-blast investigations, uh, handling and identifying explosives and properly destroying them. And and you 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 believe that those experiences uh, enable you today to uh, to more effectively work for your clients? Yes, sir. My, the uh, it's a it's a well-rounded uh, education as well as uh, experience in all aspects of uh, fire investigation and um, post-blast investigation. Well, sir, that's, that's going to help us uh, today because I know that uh, what happened uh, in a case that you and, and David worked was, uh, uh, if you might actually explain um, a little bit, maybe you want to start, David, uh, on uh, how this came to pass that, uh, that, the, that the public people and the private people uh, will work together to, to well, to stop a, a hideous thing that was going on. Go ahead. Yeah, so just to, to give a brief uh, background, we uh, were uh, engaged to represent a, uh, a manufacturer of a specific type of product that contained um, a battery device, uh, and we were, uh, we were contacted about the fact that they may have a potential uh, product liability investigation that they were put on notice of. Uh, so. Again, we uh, immediately, because we are not just attorneys, we're technically trained counsel. We, uh, it's the convergence of the science and law. It's bringing together those two things to more effectively represent our clients. Um, having those uh, contacts in place, such with yourself and, and Jeff and Ken, we, we reached out to, uh, upon getting the information, uh, we saw some indications right away that looked to us like we needed to get someone to the site uh, that not only had the CFI background, but that had a post-blast, uh, you know, background too, just like what Jeff just described. That's great. So we, and then, you know, we, and, we, yeah. go ahead. And, and so, and so do you sent him to investigate the thing then? Yeah, we did. We immediately reached out. I mean, and, and again, we we uh, we de- we didn't wait long at all. I mean, we reached out to him immediately, and uh, Jeff, we engaged Jeff on behalf of the client to go to, um, you know, to 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 look at the site again because these things, because fires and explosions, um, they happen, and, and as soon as they happen, you know, the evidence is being lost. It's being lost. It's being destroyed. It's being um, as you go longer in time, that temporal proximity, as you get farther and farther away from the time of the accident, you know, witnesses tend to, to, to be diff- more difficult to track down. Evidence is more difficult to identify, to analyze, to interpret. And so we immediately got Jeff out there to, uh, to put, you know, boots on the ground to get his eyes on the scene uh, so that we could wrap our heads around what exactly was going on. And what and, and and Jeff, you went out and looked at this. Well, generally, and I we don't use names and in, in locations here. 
So generally, what happened? Somebody got hurt or something, didn't they? In this uh, in this incident? Yes, sir. We uh, we had a, a victim that was uh, injured in an explosion, and the question was, uh, was it a product liability uh, problem or a defective product of some type, or uh, could there have been uh, a device, an explosive device uh, that caused the explosion? And uh, that's why I was hired to go out there and take a look at it to see if I could uh, determine how the explosion occurred. Right. Was the was there a public investigation before you got there? Um, I mean, the public service people, did anybody look at that area or whatever? As it turns out, there, uh, 911 was called by law enforcement, and an ambulance responded, but the uh, uh, law enforcement never responded to that scene. Okay. So, all right. So what did you, what happened? What, I mean, when you got there, well, what did you find out? I suspect what happened was that they, that law enforcement uh, thought it was an accident and, and didn't respond for those reasons. But once I got there, uh, I interviewed the victim, and um, he provided me with some information that led me to believe that um, uh, the, the possibility that it was a product liability type of, or a device that was um, a pressure device uh, was becoming perhaps a little bit more remote uh, because he said he opened the container again after he had noticed some smoke, and at that point he saw a spark, and then the uh, explosion occurred. Uh, mm-hmm. So with the container open, if you're having a vapor buildup, you should expect uh, now it's open. Now I can vent uh, that that vapor off. Um, and if it if it didn't get it all vented off, if it couldn't vent it all off, I would I was expecting large pieces of of this item to be present at the scene. Um, and then he then he uh, dropped uh, uh, something else we hadn't heard before. He mentioned that he had bought two of these items. Uh, mm-hmm. So now I had a second item in the garage uh, that may have the same issues. Uh, Potentially, whatever it is, I'm, I may now have uh, a second device there or second a second problem. Uh, once we concluded that interview, I went in to look at the scene, and uh, based on what I was seeing, uh, I felt like uh, the likelihood, the probability of the uh, device being a product liability type issue where we would get some vapor out of it or gases um, was uh, much less probable and that the damage I was seeing, the smaller pieces I was seeing, uh, was more consistent with what I would expect from uh, some kind of explosion, some kind of IED type of uh, issue at that point. Right, because it's a post-blast. It becomes a post-blast investigation then. Uh, And so you... um, you recognize that from your training experience with ATF, of course, and uh, and you saw that. And then, so what's your now? Now that you know it's an explosion and stuff, do you? Um, uh, what happened then? Did did you have to notify the, the law enforcement? Yes, sir. We uh, uh, we discussed the issue with the other interested parties, and ultimately, the uh, uh, I contacted uh, both the uh, local law enforcement and. 
uh, an agent. I before I went up there, I found out who the locus local or the closest certified explosive specialist for ATF was located at, and I contacted that person and told him uh, what I had, you know, what I thought I had. Um, I told him I couldn't. 100% say that I had advice, but I thought I did, and then I, there was a second one potentially here also. Um, he uh, he got a bob squad together, and uh, they drove three hours to get to me, and um, ultimately they they looked at the second device and determined uh, that it was in fact an ID, uh, an improvised explosive device, uh, and they at that time took jurisdiction of the case. Uh, and it became a criminal matter. Right, and and uh, and David, you might want to comment on this. Uh, uh, he he, of course, because he has a detective's license, he we would have to notify law enforcement when there's a felony. Uh, we find, discovered there's a felony. It happens the same way in all the states. Uh, you have to notify. But you can change information, can't you, uh, under arson immunity acts, David? Yeah, you can. Uh, it's a great question. It, it was probably in the uh, around the early eight, 1980s that you know many states were sort of moving towards the, the shift to enact what's called arson immunity laws. And those in those states, legislatures, the legislature uh, realized that you know most insurance fraud cases were largely built on circumstantial evidence and, and knowing that you have uh, private investigators out there such as Jeff, Ken, and yourself, Mike, um, you need some things in place to allow them when they identify uh, certain um, um, things to be able to report those things. But also on the flip side of that, you, you also need to be able, it need, it's, it's not just a one-sided uh, communication. You need to be able to exchange information freely between uh, private, uh, public, um, entities or people that are involved so that you can, you know, identify, detect, and ultimately, if it is a crime, you can, uh, it will lead to successful prosecution. Um, it, yeah. it's, it's the policy, the policy that drives that is to encourage that, not to discourage that. Right, and and I I know from my own career uh, that we complement each other. This is this team approach in in essence. Uh, You're all we're all trying to get to the truth because we're all generally IAAI CFIs, and and part of our um, code of ethics is we're truth seekers, not case makers. So we want to get to the truth, and so what we do is we exchange information with public service and and private. In fact, uh, sometimes uh, it it really works well because. Uh, um, where the where the insurance company is going to get an examination under oath the insured and, and have all kinds of uh, financial information, they can exchange that with the uh, public uh, uh, investigators uh, as the public investigators would have to get search warrants and things like that to uh, obtain some of the um, information. So I think it, it really works well that we, we do that. And Jeff, in this case, you... You uh, you talked to the ATF, of course, and and uh, and the locals, uh, fire. Uh, I mean, sorry, law enforcement people, and ultimately they uh, made an. Uh, 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 they found out who built these devices, right? Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, they discovered that there were a large number of devices uh, out there, and there had been three or four other injuries as a result of uh, these devices, um, and they made an arrest and recovered uh, the devices that had been built. 
Fantastic. And, uh, and uh, well, I know there's a little more to that story, but uh, before we get into that, uh, was, was this malicious? Was he selling these things to people so that they'd get hurt? Or what was his motivation? He was angry. He was uh, hunting on other people's property, and uh, uh, those, those people ran him off, so he made these devices to pay them back. Oh, for crying out loud. So ultimately, there was a, the, the, what happened? You can just, with, we're not going to any locations or any, or any uh, organizations, but uh, what happened? They, uh, my understanding is that he uh, offered to show them some other devices. Is that correct? That's correct. He, he uh, offered to show them some other devices, uh, and they recovered uh, um, several of them during a day of uh, searching, and, and uh, ultimately he, he tried to escape and uh, uh, ultimately died as a result of that. Right. I, I heard he tried to, to, to secure a weapon, and, and, uh, and it was during the struggle that he was and, or, well, actually killed. Um, so anyway, well, you know, that's usually not the result of these things. Generally, people go to jail, uh, but, uh, you know, they're probably not trying to grab a policeman's gun and, and kill him with it either. So, um, so this is a great case where you were a private investigator and, and you, uh, in essence, uh, tipped off law enforcement. Uh, they worked on it and, and you worked on it and, uh, and ultimately uh, the bad guy was uh, uh, well brought to justice, I guess you'd put it that way. Um, and, um, and so I know that that happens uh, in arson cases all the time. Uh, Ken, uh, Ken, you, um, you also work uh, fires. Um, so do, do you remember working with a private investigator on any case that you worked uh, where it, it was beneficial for you to exchange information? On, uh, on a bombing or on fires? I'm no, on fires, on fires. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, the fact uh, that we have the ability either through an arson immunity letter or, <clears throat> excuse me, or subpoena to get their case file um, is, it, it's very important in many cases to the criminal investigations right in fact uh, yeah well they, they and also this sworn testimony right when they have to give an examination under oath they probably told you something different or or maybe there was uh, inconsistencies that are material is that right oh absolutely that's the first thing that i look at whenever i would get the insurance file uh if they had completed the transcript of the examination under oath because uh, that's gold that I've, I've certainly I've already spoken to him there may have been two or three interviews in which we got maybe slightly different responses but when they've sat down with a good attorney and and been uh, taken through an examination under oath that that information is often invaluable when you're looking at uh, prosecuting an arson case. That's one fantastic. Of the, one of the things I, I want to make sure the, the, the audience is clear, you know, you've heard Mike and Ken both reference examinations under oath. I mean, it, it, we don't want to gloss over that. And, and what is that? You might be asking, um, you know, as law enforcement officers, Jeff and Ken and Mike have interviewed suspects uh, on numerous occasions, but in, in the insurance context, 
when that insurance company has a policy of insurance with its uh, insured uh, or named insured, they can, you know, as soon as the claim is, is filed, as soon as the, uh, the, the policyholder files that claim for a fire, um, then they can then compel that insured, uh, the named insured, to participate in what's called examination under oath, which is basically a more formal uh, interview. And it's taken under oath. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a huge, uh, huge benefit. Uh, but the, the, the policy there is to, you know, if, you've ha- if you're, you're asking your insurance company to pay you money for a claim, uh, number one, it needs to be a truthful, it needs to be a rightful claim, it needs to be accurate, you need to be truthful. Um, you should have something in place to be able to compel that insured to be forthcoming with you. And that's what that's, what that's about. And I think that's uh, terrific because uh, um, statements under oath are sworn statements. And uh, and as we all know, and we're going to be seeing more of this here at, uh, politically, that if you lie to a federal agent, uh, that is that's a uh, that's a felony in itself. So uh, and I believe what Lincoln said. Lincoln says no one no said no one has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. Okay, so um, people can remember the truth. They just can't remember what they told everybody else. I think it's kind of obvious there's a lot of that going on right now uh, and everywhere. Uh, And people are changing their stories all the time. Um, All I can tell you is this. When you have a massive inconsistency, when you have continual inconsistencies, different changes in a story, you have to start thinking that the veracity of this person is not uh, very much. And, uh, and then we've only got two minutes left here in this segment. But uh, I want to tell you, uh, one of the things that I noticed, and I'm, I'm, I know David knows this, is that if you make a material misrepresentation in a claim or in a crime, a material representation like you didn't, um, let's see, material, like I was, uh, everybody says they were at the lake at the time of the fire. If you weren't really at the lake and you were at your girlfriend's house, uh, and but you don't have an alibi, that might be a material misrepresentation. It depends on the circumstances. So um, I'm. this is called an arson deterrence uh, show. I'm here to show you that uh, you, if you're even contemplating uh, setting a fire, then uh, somebody's going to come after you. And if it's not the law enforcement people in the beginning, uh, it may be the private investigator that finds out. So um, now so we're going to be coming back soon. Uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the transitioning of, uh, of, uh, from public to private. And we're, uh, we might even get another case out of Ken. I don't know if he ever really worked a case, but I think he did. You did, didn't you? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. 
We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlappman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. My name is David Bridges. I'm the uh, special guest host today with Mike Slapman, and we we're, today we're speaking to Jeff Key and Ken Andrews about some of their experiences, training and education, and experiences in the public sector as opposed to the private sector, and ultimately with an eye towards uh, seeking the truth. That's what we are. We're here to find out what really happened, regardless of whether it's an accident or, or a crime. Our job, first and foremost, is to figure out what really happened. And I think Jeff and Ken and Mike all embody the spirit of that. And, and before the break, we were talking to Jeff Key about uh, a really uh, fascinating case that he had worked uh, shortly after the, he, he, he left the ATF to go to the, the private side. And um, and just how that case came together, uh, both the public and the private, how they were able to uh, utilize uh, and exchange information um, to get to the bottom of what really happened. And, and ultimately, they identified and, 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 and brought someone uh, to, to justice. And for those of you who are just joining us, uh, like I said, Ken Andrews, uh, was also a former uh, ATF special agent, uh, certified fire investigator, and certified explosives specialist. Um, and one of the things I want to do is just talk a few moments about uh, his background. I know for you, Ken, uh, you've made the switch from the public to private sector more recently than Jeff. If you can, just e- explain a little bit about uh, some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, thus far. Uh, sure, uh, David. Um, well, actually, the biggest challenge is that I don't have an engine company there on many of these scenes to dig it out. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, uh, yeah, I, and I just transitioned. I retired uh, December 2016 from ATF, and uh, my colleagues, uh, Jeff Key and, and John Golder and I formed uh, Forensic Investigation and Consultation. Um, 
but it is uh, it's it's the same in a lot of ways. I mean, but it's it's very different in many others. Uh, for instance, I think probably the biggest transition is not so much in processing the scene. That's pretty much the same. But where you run into, okay, now I've got my area of origin and I have no, no indication, no evidence that this is an incendiary fire, but I may not be able to eliminate the television or the stereo or multiple uh, accidental sources in the public sector, that's pretty much where I end it. I either uh, follow up with the private investigators on down the road or it's undetermined because as long as it's not an incendiary fire, it's not a set fire, uh, it's, it's really you know, outside of my, my lane at that point. Now, why, why is it, for, the, for those of our listeners who, who are wanting to know, I mean, why is it on the public side that you don't drill down that far? In other words, if you can follow that and out, I mean, why is it that you stop uh, once you make that determination that is, there's no intentional act involved? Well, I think uh, pretty much all the public agencies, uh, certainly the law enforcement uh, public agencies, uh, their assets and resources are primarily devoted to, you know, uh, investigating criminal acts. Now, are there, do, ATF has a, a tremendous lab, the Fire Research Lab up in Maryland, and we have the ability through them to uh, do a forensic examination of some type of uh, mechanical or electrical potential ignition source, but is that really in the best interest of the public if, in fact, there's no evidence of a crime? Uh, so oftentimes right. that's where that public sector investigation is going to stop, whereas as private investigators, uh, the investigation is really just beginning at that point because we really need to find out if this appliance or that device was the cause of it on behalf of our right. clients. Right, and, and, then, and that right. certainly makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, and uh, in fact, so now when you're on the private side and you get to that area where you've got um, these different appliances there that may or may not have started the fire, then you can call in now electrical engineers or mechanical engineers or whatever, uh, and the um, uh, whoever your client is can uh, can uh, bring uh, pay for their expertise. Is that right? Absolutely. If it's a situation where it's actually worth it to the client because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there are many situations that I've dealt with or, or several that uh, I believe we had identified the, the, uh, the cause of the fire, but the loss was not necessarily great enough 
to warrant the additional expenditure that it would take to do the joint examinations and lab examinations and bring in additional experts such as an electrical engineer or the likelihood of actually being able to um, positively identify even the, the manufacturer of the device that may have failed uh, was not likely enough that it was worth the additional expenditure. Right, because some of, some of the things are actually damaged beyond uh, recognition. And um, that's one of the things that I, I don't think the public understands that um, when you're a, an investigator, a fire investigator, um, when you have an ex- experiences, um, you, you start to be able to determine what that burn thing was, that that burned out hulk of a thing. Oh, that was a TV, or that was a that was a stereo, or that was a you know a, a dishwasher. And people don't understand that um, we get to know what these look like. And uh, you know, it's the ones that you don't. The the things that I I lose sleep over is you go to these joint examinations, and everybody's taking four hundred photographs. And there's that thing. I don't know what that thing is. I still don't know what that thing is. It was a twisted piece of thing in, in the corner. And I have a photograph of it, and I don't know what it is. That drives me nuts. But um, it, hopefully hopefully it's not in the area of origin, you know. But, uh, right. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, all of us have seen that. But um, um, anyway, I, I know you're new to this, Ken, and uh, I have a quick question for you. I know... Um, you're working cases now, and you're, in fact, you're in state court now. Is, are you there for a, um, a criminal thing, or are you there for a, a civil uh, prosecution? Yeah, this is, this is a, a criminal case that uh, uh, occurred uh, a little over a couple of years ago, and it's just, just gone to trial starting this week. Okay. So I'm going to make it clear that you're testifying on behalf of the state, and you're not the defendant. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> Although he, you know, we uh, we probably should should limit the question to that I don't want to incriminate Ken for anything, and and even though I don't represent him personally, we should probably steer clear of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, counselor. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, counselor. Yeah. And Jeff, you uh, you started uh, you you started being uh, six years ago. You started uh, doing private investigations, and and you work for another company. In fact. Um, uh, what now deceased? Uh, uh, weren't you with uh, um, um, with another company? Benji North. Yeah. Yeah. Forensic fire analysis was who I was with originally. Yeah, and 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 Lester's went on to the National Fire Academy, and you and uh, Benji Norris is now deceased. God bless his soul, and uh, loved him, a great guy, and both of them. And uh, oh, that brings up both of you guys. Uh, I don't know. I know that uh, Ken has taught uh, at the National Fire Academy. I, you have too, haven't you, Jeff? Or have you were, uh, taught just for ATF or what? I've, I've taught for ATF and the IAAI uh, chapters uh, in the areas uh, around the United States, but that's I've not taught at the National Fire Academy. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ken, you have so um, so you go and you when you teach there, what do you teach? Um, what do you teach? What subjects do you teach there? Uh, typically, either origin and cause, um, some of the other maybe uh, interviewing, interrogation. 
report writing. I, I've taught a number of, uh, but typically when they bring in, uh, when ATF would bring in uh, CFIs to assist, they would typically do the origin and cause block and other miscellaneous blocks. And of course, we'd be involved in. Uh, we were cheap labor, so they'd bring us in to help uh, help do the burn sales. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we probably had to build them too. Um, well, and and David, you uh, you teach with me and uh, in the expert witness testimony uh, for International Association of Arson Investigators expert witness testimony um, program. But you you teach in other um, other types of uh, subjects for the chapters, don't you? I do yeah, we uh, we speak as Mike mentioned. We we teach in expert witness classes uh, for the IAAI, also for the National Fire Academy. Was recently uh, teaching the ATF uh, certified fire investigator candidates, uh, but you know we we lecture around the country on topics, uh, any topic that relates to fire and explosion investigation or litigation, such as you know negative corpus, uh, establishing uh, you know viable and persuasive uh, theory in investigation litigation, um, really anything that relates to the the uh, the expert. Uh, their role as the, the, the truth seeker and, that, and as it relates to the uh, attorney, because it's not just enough to have a counsel. Uh, you got to have counsel that has that technical background that can understand the technical nuances raised because these cases are, uh, they're very, very, uh, they change all the time. Uh, the science, uh, you know, long since gone are the days where we can just call something and say it, the fire was caused by this product, and and you you need to take my word for it. Those days are gone. We live in a very litigious uh, period of time now, where that's not good enough. It's not about telling me; it's about showing me. And and, and it's a great start to have counsel uh, to have uh, an expert that, that's competent, certified, and qualified. But guess what? You got to have counsel that's the same because they're the ones steering the ship for all intents and purposes. And if, if they're not in tune with those things too, then they're not doing, uh, they're not doing their due diligence and not able to really take it home. I just want to back you up on that because uh, David is the most dangerous kind of, uh, of uh, an attorney to be sitting across the table from during a deposition because he knows about fire. He's a certified fire investigator. He's worked hundreds and hundreds of fires. So he's going to know all the nuances. He's going to know the jargon. He's going to know what you're talking about. And he's also going to know when your your uh, hypotheses are, 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 you're not being able to reject them or prove them. So he's the, he's the, he's the scariest type of, uh, and there aren't many in this country, the scariest and just, type. And just to clarify, just to clarify, yes. uh, you know, Mike and or, or Ken and Jeff would have you to believe they taught me everything that has to do with fire investigation. I'm here to actually say everything I learned about fire investigation, I learned by watching the movie Backdraft. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was that being. That explains I was, a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. Because there was no smoke in that movie. But anyway, but here's the other fun part. I was on the BBC at, at about 2 o'clock in the morning one night when I was president of the International, and they said, what do you think about backdraft? And he, I said, well, I was trying to be genteel. And I said, well, I don't mind being portrayed by Robert De Niro. And that was about it. 
Um, that's, that it's a it was a good movie, but anybody anybody that that believes that uh, somebody can run around in a in a burning building and and jump in there and save the kid uh, by, by and not have any smoke inhalation or wouldn't get in trouble with the safety officer, they're in they're in big doo doo. They're in deep doo doo. Um, here here's the other thing. We encourage uh, all of you that are fire. Uh, investigators out there are firefighters, are police officers that are listening to this program, no matter where you're at in the world, to get some good experience with fire. Um, you can go to your local colleges, um, take the, like Ken said, the interviewing and interrogation courses if, uh, if you're a firefighter. If you're a policeman, go take some fire tech courses so that you'll understand what you're looking at because a lot of people don't understand that not only does the fire destroy things, but it actually creates evidence. It burns itself into the scene. And we as professional experts in fire investigation can read those uh, fire patterns, these fire effects, and uh, find out what the answer is. Now, uh, I want to bring up something else. Uh, Jeff, you, uh, you and Ken both can comment on this. Um, when you're out in in uh, in the general public, do you? I mean, do you? I don't know if you do any. Um, do you do any like, uh, you know, like presentations for for uh, you know civilian groups or anything like that? Yeah, when I was with ATF, uh, we would uh, teach some to the schools, uh, other other agencies. Uh, regarding fire and explosions uh, and how to deal with um, things of that nature. Yeah, and, and, and now it's, there's less opportunity to do that uh, to, to generally, uh, to the general public as, as a private investigator, unless you're uh, invited to something like Rotary or Optimus or something like that. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, and and Mike, I've actually done some instruction uh, through the community colleges uh, here locally uh, for some other uh, for public uh, for some public firefighters uh, since I retired. Steve, also you're also both. I know Jeff and Ken are both. Um, past presidents of the North Carolina chapter of the International Association of Arson Investigators, too, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I know yeah. that, well, this is the way I get to the general public is this uh, radio show. And so you're actually getting to a lot of, uh, we have over 18,000 listeners now. So um, so anything that you've said that Dave, David's already dis- disclaimed anything he said is is not counting. But you guys, uh, you know, I mean, they'll be able to play this tape forever. So, you know, uh, I, oh, I forgot to tell you that before we went on, didn't I? You forgot to tell us that I didn't counter or that this was going to be recorded. 
Yeah, well, yeah, that's going to, yeah, it's going to be on, on demand from now on. So a lot of people listen on demand, actually, our biggest, uh, and we have, we have people, Konnichiwa, we have people in Japan, and we have people in, in the Ukraine, and we have people in Ireland, and the UK, of course, and Canada, and, and of course, our biggest audience is in the United States. We're very happy to, to have them. And um, I want to let, and speaking of that, since we're, you're in North Carolina, do you guys, uh, go outside of uh, North Carolina to do investigations. I know I do all over the country. Where do where do you go, you guys? We Jeff. we'll go wherever the uh, client will pay us to go. Okay, it's great. And when you and thank you for saying that because oh, there's the other thing that the public doesn't understand. Let's let me say this real quickly. Um, the the, the, our clients are insurance companies, attorneys, corporations, the Department of Defense, who, who's ever hiring us, okay? They pay us for our time and our expertise. They do not pay us for our opinions. You cannot buy my opinion because that's mine, and I have an opinion. And, um, and people think that if a client gives you money, that you're going to say what you want them to say. So that's not true. And Jeff, why don't you comment on that? If you're telling your, your client uh, what's, what it is, not whether or not it's going to help them, correct? The, the way I've been ever since I've been in law enforcement and got into the fire investigations and post-blast investigations is that I am to conduct an impartial investigation to determine what I believe to be uh, the origin and cause of a fire or an explosion based on the evidence and, and um, my training experience and interviews, et cetera. Uh, whether it, it helps or hurts my client is, is immaterial and should be immaterial to me. I need to come to an impartial um, conclusion uh, so that my client can make the best decision about what they need to do uh, moving forward. That's great. Objectivity is the answer then. And uh, and now the the reports, and I want to touch on this right at the end. We've got about six minutes left. Um, the reports are different. Uh, you wrote reports for law enforcement uh, differently than you write for insurance carriers in that they want different types of information, correct? And you, they want all about the fire scene, but they also want to know uh, for their uh, for their ratings and stuff. They want to know how far it was to the fire department and stuff like that, right? We, I've not run into a carrier that's asked me where, how far the fire department was away yet. But then I've mm -hmm. not been in this business as long as you have. Yeah. And, right. uh, my. Uh, I've always felt like that my reports are written very similar to when, I, when they want a full report the, uh, of my findings, uh, then uh, it's very similar to the way I wrote when I was with ATF. Uh, now, the question is, do they want a report, and do they want a full report? Uh, so right. there are right. variations that's, that's what I was on it. Say. Yeah, David, yeah, comment on that, please. Yes. Well, I mean, Jeff Jeff raises a really good point. I mean, in, in you know, in the, in the public sector, right? Like everything you're doing, whether you're the federal government, uh, state, or local government, as an investigative arm of the state, everything you do should be public, and so everything you do should be documented and turned over to 
uh, you know, whether it's prosecutor or whether it's, uh, it's not, you know, somebody's not been charged, but in the civil context, you know, uh, it's a whole another ball game. And, and, and frequently Jeff and Ken and, and you, Mike, when you work with attorneys, um, they may not have you author a report. And the reason why is because your theory may not be fully developed. You may, uh, you may have more questions than you have answers at that, at that time, or quite simply, it may not be in a position yet to where you, uh, need to disclose that opinion. And so it, it's a, uh, and, and just to be clear, as, uh, as the, a lot of experts and attorneys, uh, they, they don't understand how the two go together, how you work with each other. But the, the expert, just to be clear to our viewers, is, is not an advocate. The expert is the objective seeker of the truth. Their job is to give that opinion, whatever the opinion is. And, and, and somebody who's worked with all three of you on the phone, I, there's no question that uh, I would be able to ask you for the opinion and, and not have any hesitancy because I know you're being truthful and forthcoming. But the attorney is the advocate. They're the ones that are tasked uh, with taking the opinion, taking what the law is, and, uh, and taking and marrying the facts together with the opinion and the law to ultimately paint that picture to a decision maker, whether it's a jury or a claims handler or, or you know, a number of different people, a judge. And, and so they can understand it. That's right. And uh, I want to I want to thank you for doing for saying that because uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, I know that uh, Ken and I were talking about uh, how um, how some of the cases that he's working that they didn't want reports because it's possible subrogation coming up and and um, and there's there's going to be a lot of legal. Um, uh, motions and and maybe depositions and things of that nature. So, now I want to thank all of you guys for being here. Thank you, David, for being my co-host uh, again, and uh, thank you, Jeff, for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, and Ken, thank you for being there and 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 sitting uh, wherever you're at, uh, waiting for the for them to call you in. Don't worry, you're going to be okay. Okay, <laughs> I understand. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I okay. It. Well, Thank you, and uh, and you know I I, I like to, to rib Ken because uh, oh hell he's easy, okay. So then uh, now next week, we next week we have uh, we we're working on getting uh, a thing done that I've been trying to do for a long time. It's about an, an arson task force group uh, in New Jersey, and if that doesn't work, it's okay because I've got an, a backup. Uh, I've got a backup of a of a very experienced uh, uh, claims person that's uh, that's going to talk to you about uh, claims. So thank you. So thank you for being here. And when you come back, come back to speaking of fire. Thanks all. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.